Daily Tap is live. For Wednesday, we are talking about how the Brewers did not show up to their game against the St. Louis Cardinals yesterday. We're also going to go through Packer Patriots storylines as Packers Week 4 gets underway. We get ready for it. We'll also talk about how the Bucks and the Suns have moved in opposite directions since their finals matchup. Before we get going, just a reminder, make sure that you're following along on social, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on TikTok, as well as Instagram. As mentioned yesterday, we hit 500 on TikTok. Thank you for those who follow, who actually listen as well. Um, if you are somehow new to the program because you came through TikTok, we've got a couple things go viral for our standards. Uh, awesome. That's great. Uh, make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast. We're everywhere. Uh, you get your podcast, whether it is Apple, whether it's Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you want your podcast, we are there for you. So do not worry. We are your podcast destination. You can get our podcast anywhere, which is great, um, which you should be excited about. I'd be excited about. Uh, also, make sure that you are rating and reviewing. Uh, that really helps us out. Gets more people to know who we are, what we're all about. Uh, that would be great. And also if you share, tell your friends what we have going on. I think it's a little unique. I apologize for the delay in podcast taping. Um, not necessarily what I like to do, um, honestly. Uh, it's just been crazy with the move. I'm still finishing out uh, the stuff at the other house. So when I get home, I have no real motivation left to fire up the podcast, get the notes prepared, everything else. And I realize that's an excuse. I realize that if this is my full-time job, I'd probably figure it out, but this isn't my full-time job. So I need my beauty sleep. Uh, so I hope you guys understand that. I'm really hopeful that this is only a temporary thing. And that next week, we can kind of get rocking and rolling, kind of figure out what makes the most sense. Um, also too, uh, no tapping the keg this week. Uh, it doesn't work for my schedule. Uh, so I apologize for that. I know I had mentioned that, but yeah, no Mitch this week. All right, let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers and how they did not show up. The Milwaukee Brewers really struggled uh, against the St. Louis Cardinals. And it was one of those games where I felt like the Brewers had to have it. Like I think every game right now, the Brewers have to have it. And I understand if a team is just better than you. I understand if it's back and forth and the Cardinals are the one that scores one more run than the Brewers. The Cardinals won five to four last night or something like that. I think I'd be okay with that. I think I could make peace with that. What I can't make peace is with is just the lifeless nature that the Brewers sort of played with yesterday. It felt like the Brewers were already checked out. It felt like they were already in Cancun. Like it, it, they didn't exactly feel like a team who wanted to be there. And I know that's harsh. I realize that is maybe intense and maybe overreacting. And it seems like we do this every week with the Brewers where they have a one bad day and it's like throw the baby out of the bathwater. They're fucked. This is not going to work. And they win a couple games. They're like, oh, I'm back in on this team. And then it's, it's this vicious cycle. And it's been this cycle really for the last two months. The cycle hasn't exactly changed. Like this has been a perpetual thing. And I I think maybe I'm just sick of it. Maybe I'm sick of the cycle that the Brewers have sort of put me through because it just, it never changes. It's the same fucking thing where you just, you expect them to just figure it all out, win a bunch of games, end up in the playoffs, and we'll see what happens, right? Once you get in, who knows what can happen, but I could make a case that I don't even know if I want this team in the playoffs. 
They play St. Louis. St. Louis has been pretty good against the Brewers. St. Louis has a ton of motivation heading into the postseason. You could argue the St. Louis has maybe the most motivation besides the Dodgers in terms of winning a title because you have Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, and Albert Pujols all likely done after this year where it's like one more for the old guys, one more for the establishment of what St. Louis Cardinals baseball was for the last 15 years. And that ship matters for a place like St. Louis more so than maybe any other baseball organization. So you have that component. You have that thing where it's like, okay, there is a significant motivation for this baseball team to win. And they would have to play the Brewers in the first first weekend of the series. And I, like, I have no idea. Like it's such loser mentality to be like, I don't want the Brewers there, but I also don't want to get embarrassed. Like I don't want it to be like 2020, right? We remember how 2020 went for the Milwaukee Brewers and 2020 was a shit show in the greatest sense of the word. Like granted, it was a Mickey Mouse year. Brewers get the last seed at 29 and 31. It just seemed very fugazi in all parts of the word. Now, if the Brewers get hot here, overtake the Phillies who are also choking on their lunch. They've lost eight of their last seven games. They can't beat the Chicago Cubs for some reason. Maybe I feel a little bit better and I'm like, all right, let's try to end this fairy tale for the St. Louis Cardinals. That would be the sort of motivation, but I just don't know if we're, we're capable to do it. Like, are we capable to really go into St. Louis and win two, two out of three games? We haven't proven it, proven it over the last few, right? You know, they were, they lost, right? They lost two out of, or they lost one, of, they split the series against St. Louis Last time around, now St. Louis has a 2-1 advantage. So if they were to win tonight, you'd be like, all right, it's a 2-2 series technically. And it's been even the entire way. But St. Louis won the last three-game series in St. Louis in basically a heartbreaking fashion. The Brewers should have won that sad, that Sunday game. Craig Council screws up with Trevor Rogers, Taylor Rogers, that's his brother, Taylor Rogers against Albert Pujols, and it just doesn't work out. It's probably the least amount of faith that I've had in this Brewers team. I'm going to the game tonight with my father, and I'll talk a little more on Chuck's Corner about why I kind of opted for that over the podcast uh, tomorrow. But like, I, I look at that and I'm like, okay, how the fuck do I trust this team? Like, how can I? How can I really trust the Brewers? Because every time I do, they do something dumb like yesterday. Like yesterday wasn't exactly a dumb loss. It was just a loss that didn't need to happen. Like they didn't seem to have any sort of life against Miles Mikolas, who has struggled on the road. Like Miles Mikolas has not been a good pitcher on the road. He's been good against the Brewers, sure. But like he has not been a good road pitcher this year. So the Brewers should have been able to take advantage of that. And now you have a Cardinals team who's going to be a little champagne drunk tonight, but you face Jose Quintana. Jose Quintana has owned the Brewers. He's been he's been worse against them this year than in years past. But and Quintana's pitching great. Like Quintana's uh, September has been excellent for the Cardinals. So I, I really look at this and I, I think that I'm out of answers for the Milwaukee Brewers. I really am. Like I, I can't like be like, oh, the Brewers need to do this or the Brewers should do this. Like at this point, you are who you are. 
and the Milwaukee Brewers have shown themselves as a disappointing baseball team. I we talked about it yesterday on, on the Daily Tap where I was like, they're not the most disappointing. Like that's the Chicago White Sox who got swept by the Tigers and then go to Minnesota last night. They lose four to nothing. Like the White Sox do not want to be there. Like they legitimately would rather be in Cabo San Lucas, Tulum, uh, Dominican Republic. Like they they do not want to be there at all. Okay. Like, I wouldn't put the Brewers in that category, um, but I would put the Brewers in a category of they are basically sort of just there. And they're, they, they're, the life just hasn't seemed to come out of that team. And, and that's where I'm, I've been critical of Craig Council a little bit throughout the year where I just don't know if the passion is there from Craig Council. And I've planted my flag that I think Council is going to resign after this year. And I, I truly believe that. I truly think he's burned out. I think this is the sign of a burned out manager because there's no sort of fire with these guys. There's no sort of like, basically we have to win and we, ha- we have to figure out how to, you know, make a statement and, and get ourselves out ahead of it. The Brewers aren't doing that. And so that's really frustrating. And they should take some pride that, this Cardinals celebrated on their diamond, celebrated in their visiting clubhouse. Like that should piss them off. They should come out with a little bit of hot piss. Shout out to Maddie LaFleur. Like they should be ready to go tonight. And if they lay another egg, it's it is even worse. It compounds on itself. Like I I understand they struggle against Jose Katana. I get it. But at the same time, it's like you cannot lay an egg tonight. Like tonight, you have to show up. You have to have to show up, especially too for the weekend. Like you have the Marlins this weekend. No, I realize nobody cares about the Marlins. The Marlins did beat the Mets last night, but still, like you have to show up to make your fans believe that there is still something left in a tank. Like, you lose tonight, and I just don't know. I don't know how many people show up. Like Burns Alcantara on Friday is an absolutely electric baseball game. Like anybody should be trying to go to see Burns versus Alcantara. I realize fan appreciation night is the next night and there's a ton of giveaways and everything, but Burns Alcantara is the matchup that you want to see. Like that's the one where you just, it'll be a one nothing game, two one. I mean, the over under is probably gonna be like six, but still like that's the one. And now you could also, if you, if you really want to get feeling good and bring the momentum back and say, all right, let's, how do we, how do we get ourselves out of the dumpster? Brewers did clinch 2011 against the Marlins. Um, and the Marlins did help the Brewers in 20, 2018, 2008, excuse me, not 18, 2008 when West Helms hits the home run to beat the Mets and the Mets lose and the Brewers get into the wild card position. So who knows? Maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe the Brewers pull it together. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies have the Nationals this weekend. So it's not like the Phillies are are going to be sort of out of this. And the Padres are, are in. Like, the Padres are going to be playing the Braves. It would take a monumental collapse from San Diego to, you know, not necessarily be playing Atlanta um, in, that first, in that first series. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, but like I said, the Brewers hopefully find some motivation, hopefully find some gumption after what happened last night, where not only were you flat, but you also let your team, let the other team, your rival, celebrate in your visiting clubhouse you could have prevented that with two wins this week and you didn't and that should piss them off we'll see if it actually does uh tonight at american family field all right let's 
shift gears to the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers are taking on the New England Patriots this week. It is a 325 start. You got Nance and Romo on the call. Uh, you don't get a lot of Nance and Romo games, but when you do, you're thankful for them. Packers are pissing a lot of people off with being the 325 game and not a noon start uh, because Bills and Ravens is at noon. I think everybody is kind of apoplectic on how that game is not at noon. First of all, let me explain to you how NFL scheduling works because there are some people who are so insulated where they don't understand the casual fan. I, I don't get it. And yes, if you think about this, I am talking to Warren Sharp, uh, but I'm talking to other people too. I, I've, I'm sure we'll see this all weekend. I'm sure the PMT boys will bitch about this, but let me just explain it to you pretty simply. Number one, you want to have a full day of football. You want people to be excited about football the entire day. I guarantee you that most markets will get the Bills and Ravens. I have no idea if we will. I haven't looked at the TV markets. I hope to God we do. But the reason that they want to do this is they want to have Bills Ravens stacked as their start of their doubleheader. Then you have Packers Patriots. Why are Packers and Patriots on at 325 US? Well, both the Packers and the Patriots are, are two of the most public teams in all of football. The Bills and Ravens, while the Bills have a strong fan base, while the Ravens have a strong fan base, they don't necessarily have that public you know, persona, right? Josh Allen, yeah. Lamar Jackson, yes. But I don't know if my father, uh, who's a boomer, uh, if you do generational, is going out of his way to watch Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. My father-in-law, who is a Generation X, I don't know if he's going out of his way to watch Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Now, could the Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, if they both stay on those teams, could they build brands to make the Bills and Ravens a major game years down the road? Absolutely. Because the generation before would watch Packers Patriots. Packers Patriots matters. Patriots are one of the biggest teams in football. They they were because of the Tom Brady effect, because of the success that they had, and the fact that CBS has a limited amount of Packers games, and they want to make sure that the Packers are in one of their major slots. They do have an extra Packers game later this year against the Minnesota Vikings that also is a 325 game, but I believe the Jets is at 12 o'clock, so they wanted to make sure they had one, so they got that Packer ratings because the Packers drive asses in the seats, and then the Sunday night game is Kansas City and Tampa Bay. That is a great fucking day of football, okay? Like, that is a great day of football. I understand Packers Patriots isn't as exciting as Bills Ravens. I, I get that. But that is a full, full day of football. And then on top of that, on Monday night, you get Rams 49ers, which is probably one of the better rivalries of, the la uh, of football right now. So it's a loaded slate. Like, this is a good slate of football. And you have other games that are worth paying attention to. Oh, and by the way, you have the Bengals and the Dolphins on Thursday night. Like to me, that is a must-watch Thursday night game. Like that's a game you're tuning in for. So I don't understand the complaints. Like I just kind of don't get it. Like you want to stack it so that you have people tuned in the entire day. I don't know if anyone's coming to their TVs to watch Packers Patriots at noon. And also there are a lot of Packer fans, a lot of Patriots fans all across the country that will get squeezed out from this game. You know, my guy Seth, who lives in Pennsylvania, right? He'd be having to watch the Steelers or the Eagles. Uh, and he's a huge Packer fan. And now he gets that luxury. There are probably other Patriots fans and other Packer fans in the Pennsylvania area that now get to watch that Patriots and the Packers. And there's not as many Ravens and Bills fans. I'm sorry, there just isn't. Like, let me explain to you how media markets work. It's not that hard. So anyways, 
Uh, that was a sidetrack, but I, I did want to explain that. I felt like that was important context because I thought a lot of people were mad about that not being the primetime game. So anyways, let's run through storylines. We do this every Wednesday where we talk about the biggest storylines for the Packers and the, their upcoming opponent. I will probably do my own importance rankings tomorrow um, since we won't be doing a tab in the keg. But let's go through the storylines for Packers Patriots. The biggest one is stopping Ramondre Stevenson. That is number one. We saw Packers run defense look much improved against the New England Patriots, or I'm sorry, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady's new team. Uh, they need to do it against his old team too. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson has looked really good through first the first three games of the season. I think Ramondre is probably the brightest spot of the Patriots so far in their one and two start. Um, and the Packers need to slow him down. Packers need to make sure that Ramondre does not get going. They were really good against the run uh, in week one. They were really good in week three. They were bad in week two. So will the Green Bay Packers be able to sort of right that trip? Will it not be in every other week? Will they be able to slow down Ramondre and force Brian Horry to pass? Like that to me is like the biggest thing, right? Like Brian, if you can force Brian Hoyer in obvious passing downs, you are going to either A, come home with sacks because Brian Hoyer is not mobile. He is a goddamn statue back there. Or you're able to force potential interceptions, force potential turnovers. Like Brian Hoyer, if you look at his game logs, you look at the last few, few games that he has started, it has not been successful for any of those teams. Whether it's the Colts, whether it is the Patriots, it has not been good for Brian Hoyer. And Brian Hoyer has sparingly started throughout the last couple of years. Brian Hoyer is just collecting a paycheck, similarly to Chase Daniel. Like he's a good backup, he's a good guy to have, but he's not a guy that you're looking towards as the future. It's not like the Patriots drafted Malik Willis, right? And kind of to put pressure on Mac Jones or something, kind of a la Rodgers and, and Brian Brown back in the day. Like that's not what we have here. We have a guy who's been a career perennial backup and will he be able to have one more salvo? Will he be able to have one more sort of major moment? And if you slow down Ramondre Stevenson and force more Brian Hoyer action, I think the Packers are going to win this game going away. I don't think this game will be close. I think Green Bay takes care of business without a shot of a doubt. And that's, to me, priority number one. Storyline number two is... Will Rodgers use the middle of the field better? That has been one thing that Rodgers has somewhat struggled with. I felt like he was getting a little bit better. He did miss Romeo Dobbs on an, on an obvious crossing route where he had beat Jamal Dean. Rodgers can't see everything. Okay, I think we look at the tape and the tape boys uh, want us to be like, oh, Rodgers missed this, Rodgers missed that. Like, who knows what his progressions were? We have no idea. Um, and yeah, Rodgers did miss that. That's unfortunate. But he needs to take advantage of that middle of the field. Mark Andrews had eight catches, 89 yards, two touchdowns. Pat Fryermuth had a very nice game against the Patriots. It seems like you can do a lot in the middle of the field against this New England defense. And maybe a big Bob Tunyon game is on deck. I think Bob Tunyon could, could eat in this one. I, I think you could also use Randall Cobb in that mode. You could use Aaron Jones. I think they need to just keep attacking those middle of the field and really take advantage. Uh, the Patriots secondary is good. I don't know if I'd say it's great, um, but they lost J.C. Jackson, but it seems like they were okay with that. Jack Jones is pretty solid on the outside for the Patriots, and I, I look at it, and I, I do think that the, the Packers look at that middle of the field. You look at what's been done so far with tight ends, and you take advantage of that. And maybe Steve Belichick has something ready to go for that, 
But I, I think that, that that is the area of opportunity for this solid Patriots defense. But I, I would also push back and say, how solid are they, right? Miami just figuring things out uh, last year um, at, or in week one. And then you had a bad Steelers defense that you're that are offense that they're able to beat. They face probably the best offense in Baltimore, and Baltimore absolutely runs ramshot against them. So we'll see what happens. Um, the middle of the field wide open too, also because of the Kyle Duggar injury. Like Kyle Duggar being hurt, I think really helps that middle of the field, and also too Devin McCourty passes prime. Uh, Adrian Phillips, you know, I, I don't know. There's not there's not a ton there. So. We'll see what happens, uh, but I really look at the middle of the field as an area of emphasis for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers this week. Another storyline, do not let that New England team hang around. So do not let New England think they have a chance in this. Packers start out as an eight and a half, nine point favorite. Um, you cannot let the Patriots sort of hang in there. Like let the Patriots believe they have a chance in this football game. You need to step on that throat early. I know the Packers have let teams hang around in the past. This is one where you do not fuck around. Do not also have a hangover from beating Tampa Bay. Um, that's something that they should try to avoid at all costs. That is a chief concern I have. That maybe you know winning in Tampa Bay will the Packers come out a little bit hungover? Will they will they kind of look at this and say, all right, we we have this letdown letdown opportunity, right? Is that there? Is that existing? For the Green Bay Packers, you know they didn't necessarily have that last time they they had this scenario last season. I know they beat the San Francisco 49ers. It was 30 to 28, big win, huge win for the Green Bay Packers. Similarly to the one against Tampa, they came home coincidentally enough to play a 325 game against a top tier or not top tier, but like a public AFC opponent. In the Pittsburgh Steelers, they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers pretty handedly, 27-17. So I think that's that basically, can you repeat that recipe? Can you basically just run right back? And the Packers didn't necessarily look sluggish after a bad special teams moment early on. I think the Steelers might have had a lead after that first quarter. Can the Packers just make sure that they do not come out sleepy in this one? and not let New England hang around. Because you hang around, then it's a fight between Belichick and Matt LaFleur. And while I think Matt LaFleur is a good coach, I don't necessarily want to be matching wits with Bill Belichick in a close game in the fourth quarter. That's not something I want to be a part of. And if the Packers are a Super Bowl team, you do not have Brian Hoyer hanging around on the road in the fourth quarter. That just that just doesn't happen, okay? Um, so hopefully the Packers can figure it out and make sure that New England does not hang around in this football game. Last thing I have is will Bakhtiari play the full game? I think that is the one thing I'm curious about. Will you see David Bakhtiari for a full game or will it be still the rotational thing? Bakhtiari said to Aaron Rodgers after the game per Pat McAfee show that Roger, that he really liked sort of the rotation. He's like, oh, this is great. Like, I don't get to do this. Like, this this feels good. So if it feels good for him and, you know, obviously with Josh Neiman playing well, like if the Packers want to keep doing that, maybe it's something where it's two on for Bakhtiari now and one off. And that's sort of how they how they approach it going forward. Or maybe it's two on, one off, but Bakhtiari gets the entire fourth quarter. Or it's every other, and then it's fourth quarter for David Bakhtiari. I don't know. I'll be curious to see what Green Bay does there um, and how that changes from week to week. I think that's going to be a constant storyline for us when, it, we, when we're talking about the Green Bay Packers moving forward. 
All right, let's shift gears again and go to basketball. Uh, we haven't done a ton of basketball. Uh, preseason begins on Saturday, Bucks Grizzlies. I did want to do early storylines with Mitch, so I'll probably do that myself uh, tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. Just things that I'm keeping an eye on. We'll do a full Bucks preview uh, before the season gets going, uh, maybe next week. Um, I don't know. Uh, we'll, Mitch and I will discuss uh, what makes sense if we want to get the Bucks preview out that early or if we want to get it out that week before. I did the week before, uh, but we'll look at the schedule because the NBA starts... Was it start on Tuesday, the, the 15th, and then 16th, I believe, is the first Bucks game. So how does that how does that work for our scheduling purposes? So him and I will have to have a convo about that. Maybe it's a Sunday pod. Maybe I have Mitch over to watch the Packers. I think that's the uh, 8.30 game. So I don't know. Well, him and I will figure it out. Don't, don't you worry. But what I want to talk about was the Bucks and the Suns just in completely opposite directions, two years removed from the NBA Finals. I find it very fascinating, right? The Milwaukee Bucks are a finals contender yet again this season. I think there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The Milwaukee Bucks are going to be a top-tier team in the East again. Um, Whether they are the top team or if they are the second or third team, uh, whether that's Philadelphia, whether that's Brooklyn, whether that's Boston, I would put my money on the Bucks uh, as the best team in the East. I would put them as the number one seed right now if I were choosing just because I don't trust Brooklyn's dysfunction. Philadelphia, I could see it, but at the same time, I just never know what you're going to get with James Harden uh, and if Joel Embiid's going to stay healthy. Boston, I think, is a dumpster fire. I would expect Boston to take a step back. Um, and speaking of dumpster fires, there's the Phoenix Suns. And with how good the Bucks are and how their cohesion and their team chemistry and everybody's still all in and they want to run it back and probably Chris Middleton's going to get another contract to run it back and the Bucks will keep this core as long as they can. The Suns cannot stand each other. DeAndre Ayton, Monty Williams still haven't talked about Game 7. Yet the Suns picked up DeAndre Ayton's option. And, and match what Indiana had offered him because that's what you do, right? That was the smart decision. But DeAndre Ayton is basically held hostage there. Chris Paul had all the issues with Robert Sarver. There's a lot of whose man is that team, right? Is it Devin Booker? Is it Chris Paul? Is it Mikael Bridges? Monty Williams is a good coach, but Monty Williams basically soured the well with DeAndre Ayton. The Suns' vibes are completely off to start this season. And the Suns do not look like a team that is a cohesive, cohesive unit. Jay Crowder, as well, wants out. Like Jay Crowder is not going to show up to training camp because they're going to work on trying to get Jay Crowder traded, which they probably will do. They'll figure it out. They'll find a team who needs a guy like Jay Crowder. It, I don't think it will be the Milwaukee Bucks because of cap concerns. But I do think it will be some team that is a playoff contender. So Jay Crowder doesn't want to be there. DeAndre Aiden held hostage. Chris Paul came out against the owner. And Chris Paul also seems to kind of wear out his welcomes. Uh, it doesn't seem like Chris Paul is a guy who basically everybody is on board with 24-7. Like I, I think Chris Paul has that sort of effect. And we're I think we're seeing it on full display here. And it's really fascinating to watch that the Bucs are still a elite team in, in the NBA. They're still part of that elite tier. And the Suns, while last year they were considered it, it kind of was evident they hated each other by the end, right? By the end of things, things went off the rails. And you can't take away what happened losing by 42 points in Game 7 at home. Like, that. that's just something that 
doesn't happen to good teams. I understand the Bucks got blown out, and you can say, Charlie, what what's the difference between the Bucks blowout? Well, with the Bucks blowout, the thing is, is that that team ran out of gas. They it was Giannis and no one else. And if they would have had one more guy step up in Game Six, Bucks win that series. That's that's the crazy thing, right? The Bucks had this incredibly dramatic Game Five win. And the Bucs had Boston beat if just one more player stepped up. If one more player stepped up in game six, the Bucs win that. And because they won the title the year prior, we don't think of that game as one that'll torment us. But I do think if the Bucs were to not win next year or the year after, I think then we really look at back at that and we say, wow, that was a potential area of opportunity. And the Bucs could have advanced who knows what happens with them against the Heat. The Heat would have been a fight. I don't know if Giannis would have survived that just by himself. You probably would have needed Middleton back at some point. And who knows if he would have been able to come back. And so now it comes down to, okay, are you able to run it back this year? And the Bucks should. The Bucks have every opportunity. They, to me, are the creme de la creme of the East. I think they're the creme de la creme of the entire NBA. When the Bucks are fully healthy, there is not a team better. I understand the Golden State Warriors. I get it. Um, and the Warriors should be very good. And I think the Warriors are going to be as good, if not better, this year. Because I think Kaminga is only going to get better. I saw Steve Kerr compare him to Giannis. I think that was a little intense. But I do think Jonathan Kaminga is a guy. Like, I, I truly believe that. And they figure out how to manage Andrew Wiggins. They still don't have a ton of size inside. I think that is an underrated component of of Golden State and they got away with it because they were able to play Boston. I think if they had played Miami and Bam Adebayo, I think they would have had some issues. I think Bam would have would have affected it. Now you get James Wiseman probably back, How but how effective is James Wiseman gonna be? I, I don't know. I would certainly look for somebody else other than James Wiseman. I know you invested a lot of draft capital in him. I, I get it, I, I fully understand. But I, I do really believe the Bucs can compete with Golden State. I, I believe the Bucs can compete with anybody. And the expectation is a championship. And it's different, you know, it's different rules for every team, right? We're exiting out of the Brewers where I think the championship was the expectation. But as you saw the Mets and Dodgers, you know, look at like they were another level. You're like, all right, let's reset this. And then now this year with the Bucks, it's championship or bust, all right? Like you can't go into this season not winning a championship. And if you don't win a championship, I mean, obviously way the fuck down the road, uh, you, you at least start asking questions about, is this team stale? Does this team need a little bit of a refresh? There's a lot of commentary about if this team is old or not. I think that's way overblown. Um, which we can talk about in early storylines tomorrow. Uh, but yes, I I expect nothing but the best for the Milwaukee Bucks. All right, that'll do today's show. Uh, a little shorter than what we've had, but that's okay. Um, you know, we can't have 40-minute bangers all the time. Back tomorrow, like I said, we'll do Bucks early storylines. Um, we'll do some Packer importance rankings and so much more. All right, take care of yourself. Have a good one. We'll see you later. Bye.